Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, and the Rifleman Radio Show. Signal I'm going to be getting. I hope that we'll get 
through uh, the printer can uh, let me know, and hopefully if the call gets dropped, uh, either he can take over, or uh, if you guys want to call in, 347-308-8790, and, uh, and you know, he'll put you on there to help uh, to help fill in. <clears throat> We're traveling out to the uh, Pecos, Texas running gun this week, and... Uh, we're leaving tonight so that we can be there tomorrow to do the shoot uh, ourselves. And then we'll be working as uh, RSOs for the rest of the shooters on Saturday. We'll be there in our uh, apple seed uniforms to do the shoot. And then uh, we'll also be handing out uh, apple seed literature to the rest of the shooters uh, as they come to the station and stuff. So we'll be doing our best to promote the, the apple seed project and get the get the information out there to the shooters, and we'll be doing our best to, to shoot our best to let folks know that the apple seed shooters uh, don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. All right, the uh, show tonight is dedicated to the six steps to firing the shot. And uh, the six steps to firing the shot, this isn't, uh, this is part of what we teach at an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event, a two-day rifle marksmanship program that is going on all across the nation. Every weekend uh, of the year, there's an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship weekend that's being run uh, within a reasonable driving distance of you. All right? To find out where it is, you can go to rwda.org. That's our homepage. On the homepage, there's a uh, row of tabs across the top. You can select Appleseed. Put your cursor on that. You'll get a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, select Schedule. And that will take you to a listing of the schedule of events. All right, at an Appleseed event, we're going, to, uh, we're going to do our best to give you all of the information, all of the skills, techniques that you'll need to set you on the path to becoming a rifleman shooting through rifleman standards, which will allow you then to become to set yourself on a path to becoming a rifleman. And one of the things that we will teach you at an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event is the six steps to firing the shot. That's uh, one of the one of the stages that we teach. There's quite a few, but uh, the six steps to find the shot is the second, usually the second part of the instruction. The first part will be teaching you how to build uh, the proper shooting position, how to, uh, and that covers sling use and the steady hold factors uh, in relation to your positional, uh, to positional use. Then we're going to talk to you about the six steps to firing the shot. There are six steps that we're going to teach you to firing a shot. And as I said earlier, the, these six steps, this, the techniques and skills that we teach you, these are not, these aren't, uh, these aren't something that we have just uh, pulled out of thin air or that we're teaching you because we say we think this works good. These are techniques that have been distilled down 
over 500 years of firearm usage, billions and billions of rounds shot by millions of firearm users, all right? This is a tried and true method, and all we've done is we've distilled it down uh, in order to present it in a fashion that's uh, easy for you to understand, easy for you to wrap your mind around. All right, the six steps to the firing shot run like this. The first step to firing a shot is sight alignment, all right? This is simply ensuring that your front and rear sights are in the correct alignment for the specific sighting system you're using for your rifle. If you're using the uh, the V-notch sights, you're making sure that the front post is centered and at the same level as the tops of the rear B. Now, your eye, your mind loves symmetry. It wants to see symmetry uh, in everything. Once you know what the correct alignment is, your mind is going to be trying to get your body to put the sights into these correct symmetrical uh, position. Uh, it's going to be doing everything it can to do that. So once you know the correct sight position and uh, and you have uh, you've imprinted that in your mind, your mind is going to be helping you keep the sights in alignment. If you have the the rear peak with the front post, then you're going to make sure that the rear circle has the, the front post projecting centered in the circle and halfway up through it. Because if you drew a an X through the rear peak, and the top of the front side post was just touching the center of the X. If you have the Ruger 1022 sights, then it's good to make sure that the folks understand that those outer ears are not where you're centering your front notch. The, the rear sight on the Ruger 1022 has the outer ears, and then within that it has the plate, which moves up and down. Now that plate has a half circle in it, and the front sight on the standard factory iron sights on the Ruger 1022 as a front post that has uh, a circular uh, piece mounted on the post so that when you look at it from the rear, it appears to be a circle. All right, on the Ruger 1022, you're going to put that circle into that cup on the rear sight. That is where you align your sights. If you keep it even with the ears on the Ruger 1022, then you're not going to get... Uh, and not going to get any work when you start adjusting your sight because you won't be moving those two ears up and down. You won't be moving the center cup up and down when you're adjusting your sights. So make sure on that particular rifle, and the reason I mention that particular rifle is because uh, that has become a stock rifle for the uh, for the Alpha C project, the River 1022. If you're using iron sights from the factory, make sure that you are aligning the cup on the rear sights with the circular part of the front sight post, and if you're setting that circular part into the cup, all right? 
If you're using a scope, most of your work is done for you. However, you're going to need to ensure that when you're looking at the the crosshairs or whatever you're looking at on there on your whatever you see through your scope, you're going to need to ensure that that uh, that those crosshairs are indeed centered in the circle and that you don't have any shadows. That, that the whole uh, open eyepiece is clear. All right, that's your sight alignment. And on the scope, if you're not seeing a clear uh, circular eyepiece there when you look through the scope, or you're seeing your crosshairs, if you can tell that they're moved to one side or the other, then you're going to need to adjust your head position. You want to need to adjust your eye relief to remove any of the uh, any of the shading, any of the shadowing. All right, the second step is your sight picture. Now this is where you add another thing for you to look at into your into the mix here. You're looking at your rear sight, your front sight, and now you're adding in your target. You want to make sure that your rear sight and your front sight are aligned and that you bring your front sight, which is now in the correct alignment with your front rear sight, you bring it up so that you see it where you want to see it on your target. Now, most of the Appleseed folks that I know of, we shoot from what is called the 6 o'clock position. That's where you bring your front sight up to the target, and it touches the target at what would be called the 6 o'clock position. If, you put a, if you're looking at a, a target, say you're looking at the bullseye, and you superimpose a clock face onto the bullseye, then your front sight would come up and touch the bullseye where the 6 o'clock position would be, all right? Now, we do this because we're teaching you to shoot uh, ultimately at distance with your iron sights. Now, if you shoot, if you're shooting at a target at 500 meters and you raise that sights up, Let's say you're shooting at, uh, let's say, a deer. Well, as soon as those sights are up touching that deer, it, it's going to cover the whole thing. Your your front sight may be three times the width of that deer. And if you try and get it into the center of mass of that deer, you're going to be hurting. So the reason we are teaching you uh, a lot of times that apple deer, and I'll tell you in a minute, it's, one of, it's not the only thing we're teaching, or the only thing that you can shoot. It's not six o'clock. That's just usually where we start out, if you don't have uh, a preferred method, then we're going to ask you to start at shooting the 6 o'clock position. All right? So what if you get up there and you're starting to shoot at the uh, at the one-inch squares or at the silhouettes, you're going to correctly align your rear sight with your front sight, and then you're going to bring that front sight up to where it touches the target at the 6 o'clock position. If you're shooting at a bullseye target, a circular target, you have your clock superimposed on that, and your front sight goes to the second clock, and the clock is sitting on your front sight post like a uh, like a pumpkin on a post. That's how it's sitting. It looks as if your target is sitting perched atop your front sight. 
All right, that's for the six o'clock. Now, if you're shooting a uh, uh, a lot of the military folks that come to Appleseed, the military teaches uh, center of mass or center of target, and they're asking them to move their front sight posts up into the center of the target. Now, if that's what they are comfortable with doing, if that's what they have learned to do, then that's what they're going to do. That's how they're going to learn to shoot. That's how they're going to continue to shoot. There's no uh, there's no absolutes when we're doing instruction. There's no you absolutely have to do it this way or that way. You don't have to do it anyway. You don't have to be there. We're going to ask you to to try shooting the way that we are giving you instruction on doing it, but you don't have to do it. And if you have a preferred method for sight picture, then that's what we want you to use while you're there. If you're shooting a uh, if you're shooting from a scope, then what you want to do is have the crosshairs on the center of target or center of mass on your target. That's uh, that's going to be fairly easy with your scope. <clears throat> All right. The uh, third step in firing the shot is respiratory pause. Now, when you're shooting, we're asking for you to eliminate all movement possible, all right? We want you to shoot while the rifle is not moving. This is the uh, the most preferred and seems to be the most successful method of making the shot is to shoot while the rifle is not moving. If you're breathing, the rifle is moving, guaranteed. There's no way for you to stop it. There's nothing you can do uh, unless you have some kind of uh, uh, huge super computer uh, in your head and your body consists of hydraulics that are beyond your control and it's all being done by uh, the same system that runs the Abrams tank main gun. Then if you're breathing you're going to be moving the rifle. We don't want you to move the rifle during the shot. One of the ways you can stop movement is by shooting while you're not breathing. Uh, still alive, but not breathing. Now, one of the ways that we'll teach you to do this, and like I said with the sight picture, this is, there are many ways to do this, but we're not going to tell you you have to do it any certain way. But one of the ways that it seems for new people that easiest to understand and easy to master is to shoot at the bottom of your cycle, at the bottom of your breathing cycle, right? Because throughout the day, uh, you are you have a respiratory pause that occurs uh, continuously throughout the day. Every time you take a breath in, you exhale that breath, and then you pause. Use that breath for a few for a, a few seconds, and then you take another breath in. Then you expel that air, and once you do, you pause. You don't breathe in and out continuously well, without a pause. Uh, if you do that, you'll hyperventilate. You breathe the air in. That air is... Uh, it's transferred 
through the alveoli in your lungs into your bloodstream. At the same time, the uh, carbon and other uh, waste products of breathing are expelled along with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of other gases. And you have a respiratory pause at the end of that, at the bottom of your cycle. Breathe in, breathe out. One, two, three, four. Breathe in, breathe out. One, two, three, four. There's a natural rhythm that occurs. You have a natural place uh, that is occurring where you are not breathing in and you're not breathing out. You've you've, uh, equalized the pressure externally and internally in your lungs, and you have a couple of seconds before you need to take another breath. That's the bottom of your cycle, and if you don't have a preferred place for you to take your respiratory pause, then we ask you to try this place. Try the bottom of your cycle. You're going to breathe in, you're going to breathe out. And uh, in just a minute, we'll talk about the things that you're going to be doing while you're breathing out. Once you have breathed out, then you're going to use those few seconds that you have. You have uh, usually two to five seconds, depending on your lung capacity and your physical, uh, the physical shape that you're in. Or you won't need another breath, and you can use that time to take the shot. All right, if you are if you are in a course of fire and you've got uh, the correct sight alignment, the correct sight picture, and you are heading through your respiratory pause and you get there and for some whatever reason uh, you can't make the shot, no problem. You just repeat. You don't try and hold your breath. You don't try and extend the pause by holding your breath. Uh, You don't try and yank the shot off so that it gets in before you have to take another breath. You just take another breath, all right? Reboot. Take another breath, breathe in, breathe out, take your shot right there at the bottom of your cycle. All right, as I said earlier, that doesn't have to be the only time that you use, uh, the only place that you use your respiratory pause. You can uh, take a breath in and hold it and take your shot. You can take a breath halfway in and hold it and take your shot. You take a breath in and let it halfway out to take your shot, or one quarter or one third or any number of fractions. You can do it anywhere you want. You can take a breath in to help uh, adjust your sights to their proper position on the target and stop when you get your sights to the proper position on the target and take your shot. You can take a breath in, breathe it out, and it's when your sights, uh, as they are lowering on the target and they get to the, the right place, you can stop your breathing then and take your shot. The reason that, we, that we're teaching you to shoot at, your, at the bottom of your respiratory cycle with your empty lungs is because one of the, uh, one of the key things that's needed for you to make the shot, for you to become a good shot, is to shoot consistently. I mean, shoot the same way every time. 
And in order for you to shoot the same way every time, you're going to need to be able to repeat what you are doing in order to make the shot every time. And if I take a breath halfway in, I don't know. Am I, I might take halfway in, and it might be half, uh, might be five-eighths in, or it might be three-quarters. I'm not that sure. Now, if I'm using it to adjust my sights, then I'm using it to adjust my sights. But if I'm just saying I'm going to take a breath at a half long, or I'm going to exhale to a half long, then maybe I'm getting it to the right place and maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. But I am sure if I'm shooting at the bottom of my cycle. That's a repeatable uh, place for me to uh, to plug in my respiratory pause. You do what works for you. I would try shooting uh, at the bottom of your cycle and see if it works. If it doesn't, then go back to what you were using before. All right, so the first thing you're going to do is get your sights in the correct sight alignment, having the front and rear sights in the correct alignment for that specific sighting system. Then you're going to work on your sight picture, making sure that your front and rear sights are in the correct sight alignment, and then bringing the front sight post or your reticle up to the target so that it's in the correct placement for the target. If you're shooting at 6 o'clock position, then it's going to touch the bottom of your target at the 6 o'clock. If you're shooting center of mass or center of target, it's going to move into the center of mass of that target. Then you're going to get to your respiratory pause, wherever you're placing that. If it's at the bottom of your respiratory cycle, or if it's at a half long, or in, exhale, or a half inhale, whichever one, uh, whatever it is, you're going to get to your respiratory pause. Now, let me say this, that it needs to be consistent. In order for you to do a good shot, it's got to be consistent. I think you need to do it the same way every time. If there's some special circumstances that cause you to, to inhale a little bit to move your front side rather than uh, moving your arm forward or, or uh, moving your hips forward or backwards, <clears throat> so be it. But you need to use a consistent form of everything that we're talking about tonight. It means having your front and rear sight in the uh, correct alignment for that specific sighting system the same way every time. Having your Hey folks, Scott's popped off the air a little bit here, so just hang on. And we'll keep things going. When you're following your six steps, building consistency in your solid position, working on that breathing, keeping your side alignment, it will all come together for you. You develop a rhythm and you make things roll. I'm going to click on the caller here at 817 Hello, caller. Who are we talking with tonight? Hello? Well, I guess they decided they didn't want to talk. That happens sometimes. You get folks that are a little bit radio shy. If anybody else would like to call in and talk, bring us their perspective on applying the six steps, please be welcome to do so. 
our call-in number. Whoa. Call-in number is not wanting to pop up here tonight. Our call-in number is 347-308-8790. So, if you have something you'd like to say, just come on in and uh, we'll put you on the air and you can give us your perspective on the six steps. I have to say it's a great thing that Scout and the Texas crew are going out to the Pecos running gun. Get an opportunity to wear their apple seed uniforms, show off the program a little bit, do a little PR on some active shooters out there, some people who are going to be using those uh, issues and spreading the good word. All right, Scott, you're back on the air. Okay, where did uh, where did I lose you guys at? <laughs> well, you left off on uh, steady hold factors in, in the slang. On the steady hold factors? You were talking about getting your steady hold. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, well, I was sitting here. I was sitting here talking. I was already on the step four of uh, the six steps to find the shot. That's whenever I, I noticed that I didn't have a uh, uh, a signal, so I didn't make it through any of them. Right? Go for it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, man, listen, you guys missed it because that was the absolute best. Steps to find the shot that I have ever done in my entire life, uh, and I have a witness of that because uh, Mark Alonso is sitting here in the chair beside me, and uh, he heard it. He's he was so moved by these six step presentations, he's crying right now. It, he said it was magical. Well, the last that All anybody right. heard out here was was the fourth step. Oh, okay, okay. So you guys did hear it, okay? <laughs> All right, well. Uh, okay, you caught me on that story then. All right. So we're at the fourth step. Well, here we go. Uh, the fourth step to find the shot is a two-part step. Uh, the first part of the step is you're going to focus your eye on the front sight. All right? You have to, as we spoke of earlier, we're giving you three things that you that we want you uh, to have your attention on when you are focusing, uh, when you're getting ready to make the shot. You're looking at your rear sight, your front sight, and the target. So your eye can only focus. It's no different than uh, any other uh, optical device. It can only focus on one plane at a time. Now, you can look around you and you can see all kinds of different things at once. But for you to see any detail in anything, you'll have to focus your eye on it, and then your eye will have actually a mechanical device in it. It'll move backwards or forwards in order to get a, uh, uh, in order to get the correct focal plane for you to see it. Well, when you look at the three things that we've given you to look at, the rear sight and the front sight and the target, which one do you think needs to be seen most clearly. Is it the rear sight? I don't think so, because if you focus your eye on the rear sight, then you can't really see the front sight and you can't really see the target. And uh, if you focus your eye on the target, 
And you can see the target pretty good, but you can't really see where the front sight is in relation to the rear sight. You really can't see where the front sight is in relation to the target. That just leaves us with the one place. That's the front sight. The front sight is the most important because it determines where your round is going to impact. The front sight determines on where your where your rifle is going to shoot. So you have the front sight in a crisp, clear focus. Uh, once you have your, the correct sight alignment, you can release your eye from looking at the rear sight. Like I told you before, your mind is going to to make sure that your that your front sight stays centered in your rear notch or in your uh, in your circular peak. It's going to make you stay centered in there without much without much work. Seeing the target slightly out of focus really doesn't matter that much. And why? Because if you put that front sight in the center or at the 6 o'clock position on your slightly out-of-focus target, then you're going to hit that slightly out-of-focus target in the correct place. That's just the way that it works. So the the first part of step four is focusing your eye on the front sight. That's the physical portion of step four. Now, there's a mental portion to step four also. Focusing your mind on keeping the front sight on the target. Now, when I first heard this, I thought that's that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would I not have the front sight on the target? Well, it's very easy not to do. You can become uh, lost or distracted by by looking at the target or by looking at something that the uh, that's near the target or what the target's doing. Or there's a couple more steps we got to go through here before we actually fire the shot. You could just become distracted and allow the front sight to wander. And I know that this happens quite a bit. It happens quite a bit with a lot of different folks. I know it happened to me. Uh, I don't know why, but it, the, uh, I would I would allow the front sight to wander uh, at certain times when I first began shooting. And I don't, I don't know why it happened, but you know, I imagine it was just because I was I was trying to focus on doing too many things at once, uh, and 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 what I call thinking about the shot instead of shooting. All right. You don't want to think about the shot. You want to think about shooting. You want to shoot. At the same time, you have to ensure, and this is the most important, uh, the most important step of any of the steps. The reason I say that is because if your front sight is not on the target when the rifle fires, I can almost guarantee you, barring on some some unforeseen uh, accident or uh, coincidence or something else, you're not going to hit the target, okay? I don't care how good you do everything else. If your front sight isn't on the target, you're not going to hit the target. So you have to ensure that your front sight is staying on the target. One of the things that I used to do is during my uh, exhalation to get to my respiratory pause, <clears throat> I would, in my manta, in my head would be front sight on the target, front sight on the target, and then on my third front sight on the target, 
would match up with my to meeting my respiratory pause, and I would take the shot there. All right. Now, we're not to that yet, but that's where I would take the shot. That's why I want you to make sure that you are focusing your mind on keeping that front side on the target. Just like the first state, the first safety rule will save you in a bad situation, the second part of the fourth step will ruin you every time, no matter what else you're doing right, if you're not doing the uh, step 4B correctly. That's focusing your mind on keeping your front side on the target. All right. <clears throat> step five is trigger squeeze. And uh, you'll notice I'm not saying trigger jerk or trigger yank uh, or trigger pull or uh, any of those other things that could be said. I'm saying trigger squeeze, all right? And that's how we want you to think about your trigger control and that what you're going to do in order to cause that trigger to break is you're going to apply incrementally increasing pressure in a directly rearward direction until you have applied enough pressure to cause the trigger to break at a point that is not precisely known to you, all right? Now, that may sound a bit strange because uh, why would you not know that it's going to fire? You're at a firing range. You've got a rifle. you got a round in the rifle. Uh, you got a round in the chamber. you got the safety on. Got your finger on and you're squeezing the trigger. Now, why wouldn't you know when it's going to shoot? Well, let me tell you, if you know when it's going to shoot, then you're doing it incorrectly. But if you know when it's going to shoot, then you're causing it to shoot at that exact moment. And the only way that that can occur is if you yank the trigger. The only way it can occur if you know the precise second, the precise moment it's going to fire is for you to jerk the trigger. And that's what a lot of folks do. They say, I'm going to make it fire right now. And everything is tensed up on them. And they're yanking that trigger. And the whole reason that we're asking you to ensure that you have developed great uh, trigger control goes back to uh, the, the what I mentioned to you during the respiratory pause. That is We're trying to get you to shoot while there is no motion uh, that is being imparted to the rifle. If you yank that trigger, I guarantee you you're putting some motion on the rifle. If you yank the trigger, you're moving the rifle. What you want to do is you want to place your finger on that trigger as low down on the trigger as you can comfortably place it. You want the trigger to rest somewhere between that circular swirl point on the pad of your shooting finger and the first crease, somewhere from the center of the pad to the first crease. I.e., mine runs slightly behind the first pad, that means toward the hand, 
from the center squirrel of the first pass. You don't want to go any further than that it, because if you go further toward the hand, then you'll be pulling the rifle to your shooting side, your strong side, whenever you squeeze the trigger. If you have your finger, if you have it further toward the tip of the finger, then you'll be pushing the rifle away from you whenever you squeeze the trigger. What you have to do to eliminate as much movement as possible is to have a directly to the rear pressure applied because that's going to be nullified by having a good steady position and having the stock firmly in your shoulder so that when you pull back, you're not moving the rifle because it's already being held in place uh, in your shoulder. It's going to nullify the rearward direction. What we're worried about is having any direction to the left or right. So make sure that you have a straight-to-the-rear pull by placing your finger as low on the trigger as possible and having the trigger touching your finger between the center swirl of the pad or the, uh, the center of your first digit on your trigger finger and the first crease. And once you've found the place where you like it, then make sure you have muscle memory to that place and you're putting the finger back the same place uh, every time, same way every time. All right, you're going to squeeze, you're going to apply incrementally increasing pressure to the point where it causes the rifle to fire, causes the trigger to break, at a point that is not precisely known to you. You're going to know that it's getting ready to fire, and you're going to know that it's only going to need. You, after you shoot your rifle a few times, you know how much pressure it takes to remove the slack from the trigger. You put a little bit more pressure, a little bit more, and you're going to know about when it's going to fire. But you should not be able to tell the exact moment, because if you do, then you're making it fire. And if you're making it fire, you're doing it incorrectly. It should fire at a point that is somewhat a slight surprise to you. All right, once the rifle is fired, you're going to continue to apply rearward pressure, and you're going to hold the trigger to the rear. You're going to hold the trigger to the rear. Now, you're doing this, uh, well, let me let me take a break here because I've jumped right into the uh, sixth step, which is follow-through. All right, on follow-through, you're going to do two things. You're going to hold the trigger to the rear. Once the, the uh, trigger is broken, you're going to hold it to the rear. And this, once again, is because we want you to to keep from imparting any motion to the rifle. And when your finger pops off that rifle, off that trigger, it's not popping off uh, because the trigger is kicking it off. It's popping off because you're actually giving your hand and your finger uh, instructions from your brain to move forward off the trigger. Now, when you do that, you're not just moving the tip of your finger uh, so that it's out of contact with the metal. You're having to move your whole finger, and which requires the use of your hand to also move that finger off. That means you're, you're moving. Your hand is moving. So 
in order not to impart any movement to the barrel. And I know what a lot of folks say. Well, listen, I just fired the shot. So what does it matter if my finger pops off or or if the if the rifle moves a bit? Dang, didn't you hear it? I just shot it. Well, that's good in theory, except the reality of it is is that from the point when the hammer, when the trigger breaks, that causes the hammer to strike the primer on the projectile. Once the, the hammer strikes the primer, it takes a measurable amount of time. Now, I know it's, I know it's a, uh, a very small amount of time, but all this time adds up, a small amount of time for it to strike the primer, for the primer to ignite, to ignite the main charge in the projectile, and then the projectile to go from a stationary position uh, to achieve the exit velocity and to exit the rifle. This is a, actually a measurable amount of time. And if you pop your finger off the trigger, your finger isn't coming off the trigger, uh, the movement isn't coming off the trigger after the round has left the barrel or after... Uh, after everything's over with, it's happening while you're still uh, while you're still in the uh, in the the, the uh, what am I trying to say here? While you're still in the uh, the middle of this, your finger goes back. You cause the hammer. You cause the trigger to break. The hammer to come forward. As you're doing that, as you're receiving the first impulses of the recoil, your brain is already sending out the message for you to begin to move the finger off the trigger. As you're sending as that message comes out, you begin the movement. It's occurring while the projectile is still inside the barrel. So in order to ensure that you eliminate any possibility of imparting movement to the barrel while you're shooting, you're going to hold the trigger to the rear. Now, this doesn't have to be done for a long time. Uh, it's, a, it's a measurable amount of time that it takes for the bullet to go uh, from a stationary position to exit the barrel. But it's not that long, okay? So you're going to hold the trigger to the rear, and as you're doing this, you're going to cause your whole world to freeze. Everything freezes. Nothing moves in your universe, including your trigger and your trigger finger. You're going to keep it held to the rear. Now, if you're if you're firing a uh, a bolt action or a single, I mean, a, yeah, if you're firing a bolt action type rifle, then uh, once you're once you have rocked back out of recoil, then you're good to go. If you're firing a semi-automatic, once you feel that sear receipt, and you can feel it, you fire the rifle, the uh, action goes through the motion, ejects the round, and it's coming back into battery, you'll feel the, you'll feel the sear receding. When you feel it receipt, then you're going to let your finger come back forward on the trigger, not off of the trigger. So let your finger come back 
forward until you feel the uh, seal receipt. I'm sorry, I was telling you that you're going to feel the seal receipt during the the action. You're not going to feel that. You're going to you're going to feel the action cycle. Once you feel the action cycle, then you're going to let the the finger come back forward until you feel the sear click into place, right? That's as far as you go forward. You're not going to go any more forward than that. So you're holding your trigger to the rear for step six, and at the same time, you're going to take a middle snapshot of where your front sight was when the rifle fired. <laughs> now, this seems like it's going to be difficult because you're thinking, how am I going to do that? See, the minute I fire the shot, bang, I'm going to get recall, uh, I'm going to get uh, report. This is going to be, everything's going to be too confusing. But it's not. It's not. Remember I told you there was a measurable amount of time between when that trigger breaks and when there are rifle fires? Well, your mind uh, is... Uh, very complex thing, and it can actually uh, yeah, it can actually uh, get you. Uh, you can actually take this picture while this is going on. Now you don't have. So it doesn't have to be a uh, uh, like a a photograph that you're storing. What you're trying to do is just to make sure that the that you can see where your front sight is when the rifle fires. If you uh, and it, it takes a little bit of practice to get to this, but uh, but it can be done. You're going to. When the trigger breaks and the rifle fires, you're going to okay. Sorry about this. We were we we're coming to a uh, another point that we were trying to figure out where the best place to go was. All right. Uh, this isn't going to be. It's not going to be easy. But it's not going to be hard. You can train yourself to do this. So just have to work at it. When the rifle fires, when the Rifle fires when the trigger breaks. You're going to record where your front sight was. Now you can only do this if your eyes are open and you're focusing your eye on the front sight. If you're doing other things, you're not going to be able to record it. If you focus your eye on the front sight when the rifle breaks, you're looking to see where it was on the target before you get the report and recall. And uh, and with a little practice. You can learn to do this. The reason you're doing this is because you want to make sure that that the front sight is where it's supposed to be when the rifle is firing. You should be able to look at your front sight. I mean, uh, you should look at the target and on your step six, get your follow on your follow through, get the snapshot of the of where the front sight was <clears throat> and if your front sight is low and left on the target 
and that's where you take the picture of it. You get down there, and the hole in your target is low and left. Then, then your rifle is doing exactly what you want it to do. If you squeeze that trigger, you take a middle snapshot, and uh, it says that the front sight is high and to the right of the target, and you get down there and you find a hole high and to the right, then that was a good shot. That was a very good shot because what that's telling, I mean, I'm not going to tell you it's a great placement of your shots. I'm just telling you that the rifle fired where you asked it to fire. So that's what you're trying to do is make sure that you're getting your feedback, immediate feedback, by taking a snapshot of where the front sight is when the rifle fires. All right. That's the six steps to firing the shot. And when I told you earlier that... uh, that... uh, well, let me tell you, let me explain it to you this way. When I was telling you earlier about uh, focusing your mind on keeping your front sight on the target, then, uh, and the, some of the reasons that folks don't is because because they're thinking about other things, which might include going through the six steps to firing the shot in a linear fashion. Now, we teach you the six steps to firing the shot in a, in a linear fashion. Because that's you know that's the only way we can teach it to you. In reality, the six steps to find the shot are all occurring pretty much simultaneously, and they are all reaching the same point, which is a singularity, and that is the shot. Whenever you are learning to do these six steps, then yeah, you might want to. You know, when we first started this, we had a actually had a card. And uh, it was a folding kind of card, and you could put a crease in it, fold it, and and we would uh, you would put the crease in it and fold it so it had like a 90 degree turn in it, and then that just slid right under the uh, if you were right-handed, that slid under the front right uh, corner of your mat, and uh, and you could go through the six steps in a linear fashion that way. Make sure you're doing them right. Uh, and maybe we could get some of those cards remade. I don't know. I, I thought that they were a great way for folks to keep folks uh, uh, on track with the six steps. But as I said, the reality is is that the six steps are occurring uh, all at the same time, and they're ending in a singularity, which is the shot. So what you're doing is you are getting into your position. You're making sure that your front and rear sights are in the correct alignment for that specific rifle or that specific sighting system. You're bringing them up to the target. And as you are, you're inhaling as the sights are coming toward the target. You're inhaling. And as you're exhaling, you're beginning, as you're exhaling, you've got your, your eye focused on your front sight and you're making sure that the front sight is tracking to the target as you're exhaling. At the same time, you're applying pressure to your trigger. Now, I'm not talking about uh, I'm talking about once you're 
Once your front sights are, are on the target where they are supposed to be, you're applying pressure on your trigger. And as you're exhaling, you're, you're getting ready to reach your respiratory pause. As you're getting ready to reach the respiratory pause, you're also thinking about uh, you're also thinking about <clears throat> applying just enough pressure so that you're only a few grams away from the amount of pressure that's needed to fire the rifle, so that whenever you reach the respiratory pause then you have your front sights are correctly aligned on the target. All you have to do is apply the last couple of grams of pressure to cause the rifle to fire. So this is all occurring at once. Once the rifle is, once you've caused the trigger to break and you are you're going to be doing the follow-through. All right, so you have all of these six steps occurring simultaneously. Well, except for step six. Other than that, you have the, the steps occurring simultaneously until they reach the singularity, which is the shot. Once they've reached the shot, then you're going to follow through. That means you're going to hold your trigger to the rear. You're going to take a middle snapshot of where the front sight was when the trigger broke. <laughs> now, this is the system that Apple Seed teaches. And one of the reasons we teach it is because it's a very good system. And, uh, and it works very well. And once you have learned the six steps to fire the shot, then that should be, uh, you should never again fire a shot for the rest of your life without applying these six steps to fire the shot. I mean, it should be, it should become ingrained in you uh, to take the, to using these six steps to fire the shot. All right, now, one of the best ways for you to teach yourself to do this. Uh, oh, hold on one second. Okay. All right, one of the best ways for you to practice these six steps is for you to use the dry firing uh, program that we talked about uh, week before last. Right, making sure that you are using your dry firing program to practice the six steps of firing the shot. And you can do this by uh, by building a uh, building a steady uh, building a proper shooting position for whichever position you're in. And then executing the shot by the six steps. Get your sight to launch. Get your sight picture correctly. Get to your respiratory pause, wherever you're, whichever 
the place you're going to use to take your pause. Focus your eye on your front sight. Focus your eye, your mind on keeping your front sight on the target. And then executing your trigger squeeze. You're going to use your trigger squeeze to apply incrementally increasing pressure on the trigger until the trigger breaks at a point which is somewhat of a surprise to you. Let me say another thing about uh, about trigger control here, and that is uh, we have the the four steps, the four safety rules. I mean, we've got the four safety rules, and the uh, third safety rule is keep your finger off the trigger through your sights on the target. All right. Now, for good trigger control, you're going to do the inverse of that. That is, your finger is not going to leave the trigger until you're through with your course of fire. You keep your finger on the trigger uh, throughout the course of fire. It's going to be held to the back after the shot. It's going to be slightly moved forward until the until the sear. Uh, engages after the shot, and that's as far forward as you're going to go. You know, your finger is never going... There's no need for you to put these slaps back in the trigger, because why? Because you're going to have to take it out again. So why would you do that? You're going to leave the slack out of the trigger, and then you're going to start again by applying gradually increasing pressure on the trigger until it, until it, uh, until the trigger breaks. All right, then you're going to do your follow-through. And if you do this at during your dry-firing program, this is going to be the best way for you to cement it into your muscle memory and into your mental memory by repeating this over and over again, making sure that the that all of these steps that I just listed are all occurring simultaneously and that they are all, uh, the first five are all ending the singularity of the shot. And uh, if you do this enough during your dry firing program, and I believe we talked about that quite a bit, then you can get the you can get the muscle memory cemented. You can get the uh, the mental memory of what you're doing cemented. You can work it out so that all of these steps are all synchronized and they're all coming together at the shot. And uh, once you've done this, once you once you have gotten to that point, then your shooting is going to be much simpler going to be much simpler and much more consistent because, uh, you know, I see a lot of folks, especially if they, uh, if they're just beginning, they're going to, uh, they're going to get on the line, they're going to get in position, and then they're going to get their sights in the target, and then they're going to get to their respiratory pause, and then they're going to begin their trigger squeeze, and they're doing it in linear fashion, and, and each of them takes time. You want to train uh, your body and your mind not to do these things in a line, but to do them all at the same time. 
I cut down on your time and helps you to stop thinking about shooting and shoot. All right. Uh, if you guys want to call in, then I'd, I'd love to hear any of uh, any of the tips that uh, any of you give to your uh, give to your students whenever you're teaching them the six steps. Uh, or any of the folks, if you have any questions about it, uh, if you want to call in, it's 347-308-8790. And I'm sure the call screener has put that in the in the chat, too. 347-308-8790. Because one of the ways we all learn is by listening uh, through all the different ways that this can be taught. It's one thing that we're teaching. But you can get just like any just like any singularity, any subject, you can come at it from uh, 360 degrees. And the best way to learn is to make sure that you have your ears open and you're learning to you're listening to other people the way they teach it, and then you, you're applying that to yourself. Because anytime you look at anything, at any event in history, at any uh, anything that you're learning to do, the more directions that you can look at it from, and the better able you are to see uh, the event as a whole. <clears throat> All right. Uh, okay, like I told you earlier, we're heading to uh, we're heading to Pecos, Texas this evening, and uh, we're going to be at the Pecos Run and Gun, and uh, this is an event that's held out in West Texas uh, every year by Smokey and the rest of the crew out there, and uh, it's a, uh, I believe it is about a six or seven mile long course that you that has to be run, and there's shooting stages along the course, and uh, you have your run time uh, added up with the points that are accrued from the shooting stages to give you your total overall score. And uh, there's supposed to be a pretty good group of people coming this year. And like I said, we'll be uh, <coughs> we'll be wearing our apple seed uniforms to uh, to run uh, the shoot, and then at, then. That's tomorrow. We'll be shooting tomorrow uh, because the folks that uh, the folks that are going to be actually running the event are shooting on Friday, and then the shooters are coming in Saturday to go through the event. That gives everybody a chance to shoot the event. So, and then on uh, Saturday we'll be RSOing for the for the Pecos Run and Gun, and and handing out literature. about apple feet to the shooters there. So why am I telling you about this? Did it, call screener, did you just try and say something to me? Uh, because this is something I think that would help the program if uh, all of the folks in uh, in all the different states got, got involved in, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the Pecos shoot,
<clears throat> I'm talking about having the the different states grab some of their uh, best shooters and or, or any shooters. I mean, you don't have to be the best shooter to participate in an event. You just have to be a shooter. Uh, but uh, put together uh, some shooting teams and start entering events in your state. And uh, while you're shooting the events in your state, be wearing your apple seed uh, gear so that folks will know that that's where your skills came from. I think it's a good way to help promote the apple seed hey, Scout, project. The old guy would yes. like to talk with you. Okay, so let's get him on. I'm going to hook him up. All right. Come on and talk, old guy. Good All evening, right. Scout. Well, hey, how you doing? Yeah, we're doing just fine. I made Red Hat last weekend. Well, congratulations. Congratulations to you. But you just just asked, uh, you know, about some personal techniques. I've I've done this four times and made four riflemen. I get some middle-aged folks, or beyond middle age, and... They're shooting 192, 198, 203, 197. They're just not quite there. There's nothing wrong with their form. And I said, here's something that's not in the book, but it'll work. What you do is you focus on the front sight, you do all the six steps, but one more thing. You squint. Focus on the front sight. But if you squint, that full throw comes into focus. And you can see the the fourth row better. In fact, you can see anything better. And old pilots know this. So you can see you can see the enemy further away if you squint. So you tell the folks to 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 squint their eye a bit when they when they're going exactly. through the through step four to to yes. ensure focus on the front sight. Yes. Okay. You focus and you're not on just the front talking sight, about. But you also squint, and it brings that fourth row into focus. And you can keep that front sight on that fourth row better. And it may, it'll right. add 20 points to your score. Well, I can see no. that if you, uh, if, you tr- if you squint just a bit and you close out some of the other, uh, uh, some of the, some of the other stimuli that you're getting, that yep. uh, you got a better chance of being able to focus on the front well, light. Well, it, it's it's your eye is like any other lens. If you if you if you shrink down the aperture, you get a greater depth of field. Right, exactly. I was just fixing to say that you know when the when the folks are shooting the the better sights. You can see that a lot of the better sites yeah. uh, that are designed for shooting targets specifically, uh, then you'll see that the rear aperture is very tiny because they don't want you to see anything else uh, other than the target, other than the front sight and the target. Yeah. Now, most battle rifles don't have that because they're kind of hoping that you see other things that happen to be wandering around while you're while you've got your eye on the sights, but. Yeah. But the rear aperture, if you close it down and you close your eye down, then, yeah, you'll be able to focus a lot better on that front sight. That's a good tip. Well, that's true, but, you know, 
it really doesn't make the front sight more in focus. What it does is it brings that bottom row more into focus while your front sight is still in focus. And they go, oh, yeah. And then they wind up with a 227 or a 231, you know. But I see what so you're saying. That you're saying that it allows the, the bottom row to come from being completely fuzzed out to being uh, just a normal better, black fuzzy Better ball. definition. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that that is true. Now, right. I I don't do this during the six steps presentation because those those folks with young eyes don't need it. I do it for the people with my hair color, just which is exactly. white. Exactly. <laughs> I do it one on one. And you're doing it exactly right, old guy. Because what we ask folks to do, we ask our instructors to do is to always strive for simplicity in instruction. That means whenever you're teaching something, you only teach that specific thing. You don't uh, add on, you don't cross-teach. When you're teaching slings, you only teach the slings. You don't teach anything else. When you teach steady hold, that's all you teach, and all you talk about is the steady hold factor. You don't talk about why, or if you were shooting high power, you'd do it this way, or if you, or if you dig your toe in, uh, you can move the barrel of the rifle. You only teach the specific uh, things that we ask you to teach, and then you look for what folks are doing that are different. And if you see, if you are talking, if you're teaching the six steps, you're teaching just the six steps. But yep. then you're looking later on to see why somebody might be having uh, trouble with a certain item, and like you said, it, it, a lot of times it, in the in the gentlemen who have a few more years than the young guys, then that might be a problem that they're having, and that might be, that's probably a good place to ask them to try that technique. Well, there was a, there was a lady last weekend at Peterborough, New Hampshire, at her ninth apple seed, okay, and she was shooting 200 to 04. 192, and I showed that to her, and she got it. And what was she saying that, or, or what was the clue that made you think that that's what uh, that's what was giving her problems? Hair color. <laughs> okay. I'm serious. That'll work. I, I only, That'll work. I only I only mention this to, to middle-aged people or beyond. And I figure this lady was around 60. I'm guessing. I hope she's not listening. and I, mean, I hope she is listening, actually. But but uh, I figure she was about 60. And she was an undetermined lady. She was not going to give up. It just, that was just well, that little great. age. Well, what else do you have? And listen, hold on. Before you tell me, let me tell folks, too. Listen. Uh, what uh, what old guy just brought out is a great uh, is a great tip, and why don't some of the rest of you guys? Because I know everybody out there uh, has learned something that they're ready to pass on to the rest of us. Why don't you guys call in and uh, let the call screener know that that's what you want to do? We'll get you in the air and get these tips spread out uh, nationwide. You can do that by calling in. The number is 
347-308-8790. Give us a call and uh, and tell us uh, what your particular methods are that you have found that work for you uh, for teaching the six steps or for helping somebody through one of these six steps and find out uh, what works best for you. I don't know what you're doing, old guy, but whatever it is, it's loud and uh, crank, cranky. Okay, uh, one more then. If, if nobody else is in, is waiting, I've got one more. Okay. If you're shooting in, if you're shooting in the rain, okay, and you get water or up here snow in your rear sight, one little drop of Armor All with a Q-tip on the rear sight, and it will not blind over with water. Hmm. Well, that's a. Uh... That's a pretty good tip, too. Now, you're talking about doing that. Be, if you say, well, look, I, I might be, think it might be getting ready to rain. I'm going to put a drop on there. Are you talking about doing it right uh, while it's raining? Well, you can do it while it's raining. But, or you can, if you're going hunting, you can do it before you go hunting. Right. Or whatever. You know, it just it, it will not blind over. The water just dissipates away from it. Well, I Not guess you could do it on the. I guess you could do it on the front of the rear sight, right? You could have the back. You could keep the back. Uh, well, I'm talking uh, about a peep sight. Right. It won't affect the, the 1022 refactory sight. I'm talking about a peep sight. Right. I understand. Check, what I'm saying right. is, if you put armor all on something, it usually makes it kind of shiny. Uh, I guess that doesn't matter if it's raining, though. It's going to be yeah, it wet not. looking anyway. Yeah. So I got another tip for you, too, uh, for shooting in the rain. And that is if you're shooting a uh, a Grand or an M14 in the rain, that's uh, the only two I really have that much experience with that do this. The uh, If you're shooting in the rain, and it's a pretty heavy rain, uh, you might want to make sure that you uh, that your rifle is not super greased. Uh, because uh, I experienced this uh, several years ago in Vermont, and uh, my rifle was greased up and ready to go. Uh, I don't know what are you are you working on something, old guy? Uh, no. Okay. Well, whatever, whatever you're working on is loud. Uh, that's not coming from me. I'm sitting here in a quiet office. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Uh, well. Uh, Scout, you've got Shadow Man on line six. I'd like to talk with you about them six steps. I'm going to put him on oh, okay. here. I'll leave old guide on, too. Okay, great. Well, let me just finish up real quick. What I was saying was uh, I took my Durand up to uh, Vermont, and we were shooting in the cold Vermont rain uh, one summer, and I had my rifle really nice and greased up, ready to go, as it uh, as it usually is right before I shoot. I don't store it like that. I don't keep it like that. Before I shoot, I'll put on a liberal amount of grease to make sure I'm, I'm running good. And uh, and I cracked that first shot off, and I'm telling you, I got a huge eye full of grease. Uh, it was like somebody had a mouthful of uh, Crisco and water, and they spit it in my eye. Now, if it was just water, it wouldn't have been that big deal. I'd just wipe it and keep on going. But it was grease. So that made my follow-on shots. Uh, a little rough to try and keep focused because I had a thick film of gun grease in my eye. 
So I would make sure that uh, make sure that I had my rifle wiped down good. If it looked like it was going to be rain, I'd have it wiped down pretty good so that I didn't get uh, an eye full of grease. All right, uh, uh, guys, stay on the line. And Shadow Man, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Scott. It's good to be here. Just wanted to uh, let you well, know. What do you got? Well, I uh, got my rifle in my first apple seed, and I had a lot of experience going into it. But the six steps really helped me uh, put together different pieces of my shooting and, and, and things to help it all come together. But what really helped me as an experienced shooter was that sixth step, uh, the follow-through, following the shot, you know, calling your shot, and then keeping your finger on the trigger. That was the, the area where I was uh, struggling the most, and the instructors who worked with me really helped me from keeping my finger dancing around off that trigger. Well, is that what was causing your – are you saying that the because you weren't doing it, you were seeing movement in your rifle that was keeping your round from impacting where you wanted it to? That's correct. I wasn't flinching, yeah, listen. but I wasn't flinching, but uh, when I would take a shot, if I ran out of breath, I would release the trigger and wouldn't just hold it where it was. And so, uh, and so, learning how to, you know, control the trigger better to where if you do have that respiratory pause and you run out of breath, just take another breath, but keep your finger right on the trigger where it was, and then continue pulling or squeezing at that point. That really helped a lot. And then also, too, um, not releasing the trigger all the way, feeling, you know, that sear action as you would, as I would slowly release it rather than just taking my finger completely off. That was a huge uh, improvement in my marksmanship by just doing that. Well, you brought up a really good point, and I mentioned part of it earlier, and that is if you get to your respiratory pause and you start applying pressure to the trigger and your front sight moves off the target, you will stop right there. Now, you don't stop. You don't, you don't the pressure on your trigger at all. You think right there and that's pressure and then you bring your sight to target. And if you have to take uh, another breath, then you do that. But you keep that same pressure on the trigger. Cause the rifle to fire yet, then it won't. You're going to have to put additional pressure on it to cause it to fire. But you keep it right at that point that you were at before your front sight moves off the target, go back to your respiratory pause, and as you are getting at, as you meet your respiratory pause, your sight is on the target, and you put those last few grains of pressure on the trigger to cause it to fire. So you don't take your finger off the trigger, and you don't stop applying pressure, and you don't start over. If you have to reboot, you just reboot, you, and keeping the the same amount of on the trigger. Now, there were two things that I, I meant to bring up for that, but I, I forgot what the second one is while we were driving. You said that, uh, you said that, well, let me say this too, that, uh, but well, 
I believe Scout just went into another cell phone zone, didn't make the transition. Well, why I you, think he did. Well, well, why don't you we, guys go ahead and why don't you guys you'll, go you'll, ahead and keep up the discussion? Up. Sure. Old old uh old guy just wanted to congratulate you on your red hat and congratulate you for pushing Cindy over the line on her rifleman. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, the previous weekend, uh, actually two weeks prior, we had the first shoot ever at Freeman Township in Maine, and we had a young fella, uh, probably 28, 30 years old. He was shooting 206, 208, you know, in that range, and that's that's what he was doing. And what he was shooting one-inch groups, on the squares target. And he was firing, he had a bolt action, and he was firing, it's a CZ-425, I believe, 10-round magazine, bolt action. And I told him, I said, don't take your, don't lose your cheek weld. Don't take your head up there, just work rack that bolt. I said, dry fire a few times and leave you, it's not going to come back and bite you. It's, it's missing your cheek by a full inch. Just leave your cheek right on that cheek weld. Bang, he shot a two twenty eight. That's awesome. When when just a little fine tuning adjustment like that will take them over the line. Yeah. All right. Well, I managed to sneak back in here. We're we're coming in and out of signal. Once again, I apologize for this, but uh, what I was saying is that uh, and maybe you guys did you end up covering this for me while I was uh, while I was out, and that is on your trigger control. Uh, an additional thing that you have to remember is that you cannot be dragging wood. That means you're the only part of your finger that can come into contact with the trigger is the place where it is touching the trigger. Uh, that's uh, what I talked to you about earlier, the spot between the point of the pad and the first crease of your finger on your trigger finger. The rest of the finger will need to be arched and not touching the rifle, because if you're touching the rifle with your finger, then whenever you are squeezing the trigger, you're also squeezing the rifle. So make sure that uh, that you're not what we call that dragging wood. That means as you're trying to squeeze the trigger, your finger is dragging against the stock. And I'm telling you, it's going to make it. Uh, it's going to have put some movement in it. If you want to make sure that you cross that magical line from 190 to or 201 or 205 to cross over 2 and 10, then uh, you're going to you're gonna have to work on the what we call killing rats, and that is making sure you're not dragging wood, making sure that you're following through, uh, making sure that you are holding the trigger to the rear and that you're applying directly to the rear pressure on your trigger finger. Uh, all right, you got anything else, Shadow? Yeah, the other thing, too, is um, talking about keeping the pressure on the trigger. When you're doing the rifleman's cadence and you're shooting rapid fire, you know, one thing I used to do before Appleseed was I would fire my shot and then completely release the trigger, uh, even without jerking or flinching it. And one of the things we did at one of our shoots, um, since I've been helping with, as an orange hat, is uh, one of our instructors did a drill where he did rifleman's cadence, he would say, breathe in and breathe out, uh, reset, fire. And the idea was that 
you're, you're, you would have pressure on the trigger the whole time that the exercise went. And then when, when he said breathe out, you, at that point you're at your respiratory pause, and then he would say reset. You would just release the trigger enough to feel that the action reengage, and then you would pull it. By doing that, you're keeping the pressure on the trigger the whole time, and that was something that was a big breakthrough for a lot of our shooters as well. Well, that's good. I think that I would, for me, when I shoot, I reset and begin pressure on uh, on the inhale. You know, uh, as I'm inhaling, I begin. I've already uh, my finger is going forward. It's not coming off the trigger, but it's going forward while I'm inhaling. It receipts, and then the minute it receipts, that's the limit that I go forward. As I begin exhaling, I begin taking, uh, uh, there's no slack. I never put slack in the trigger, but I begin putting more and more pressure on the trigger as I'm exhaling so that the minute that uh, I get to my respiratory pause, my front sight has, uh, uh, has achieved its correct position in my sight picture, that I'm ready to put the final few grams of pressure on the trigger to cause it to break. Now, we had, uh, we get, you get folks all the time whose fingers are popping off the trigger uh, after they're shot. Now, I talked about that earlier, that that's going to apply movement, it's going to impart movement to the barrel, but there's no way it can't. It's just, it's going to because your finger doesn't move in a vacuum. Attached to your hand, attached to your arm, everything else. When you give a signal to your finger to do something, if you look and feel from your arm and your hand, you, all the everything has to be engaged in order to get. Like unless you have your arm laying on a table or tied down and propped in place, and you're giving your that finger, you're really concentrating on it, you might be able to move that finger a tiny bit without moving the rest of your hand or arm. Otherwise, you're going to be moving your hand and arm. You move your hand and arm, it's connected to the rifle, it's going to move the rifle. So you got to make sure that you're not doing that. And then make sure that you're not doing that means don't pop that finger off. And I've seen, uh, I've seen all manner of different things going on. Uh, and uh, I even saw a gentleman one time who was, he, he had a, uh, a thing he was doing. He would take his shot, his finger would pop off the trigger, then his finger would come back and stroke the trigger one time on the first shot. On the second shot, the finger would pop off, come back and stroke the trigger twice. Stroke, stroke, and then squeeze and shoot. On the, and and all, all the way through. And he started complaining to me that he wasn't, finishing his course of the fire. He wasn't getting all the shots off. So I sit there to watch and see what he's doing. That's what I saw. We got through the course of fire, and I said, why are you doing that? Why are you counting off each shot by stroking your trigger the number of shots that you fired? He goes, I'm not doing that. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, you are. You're doing it every shot. You, you stroke off the number of shots that you fired onto the trigger for the next round of shots was and that's what was that's what was causing him not to finish now that's an exaggerated amount of even if you know 
laser after you pop it off the trigger, which already makes to the barrel. <clears throat> One is in the Folks, Scout just got the bump again. Why don't you just keep up the discussion a little bit? One other thing well, about the fourth step that I found that was real helpful with a scope is uh, I have a, a cheap scope um, that I put on my 1022 that doesn't allow me to focus crosshairs and on the target at the same time. And originally I set up my scope to focus on the target and the crosshairs were fuzzy. And I found that uh, by focusing on on the reticle, and and then leaving the target blurry, it's far more accurate because it it really focuses you know my eye in a sense on the front sight through the the glass, and then having the blurry target, I can still you know take step four B where I focus my mind on keeping that reticle on the the blurry target and the accuracy went up dramatically. Right. And let me finish real quick what I was saying before. Did, I guess I, I don't know where I got cut off. I know where it's deep coming. But what I was saying was that when you take your finger off the trigger, it takes additional time to get your finger back on the trigger. That may only take, uh, it may only take a second, one second to get it back. But if you do that 10 times, then you've got 10 seconds that you used to find the trigger. Now, that 10 seconds may not sound like a lot of time, but whenever you're talking about 55 seconds to get off 10 shots, then you just took one-fifth of all the time you have just in finding the trigger. So make sure that your fingers are staying on the trigger. Now, repeat for me again, if you wouldn't mind, Shadow, what you were saying about uh, 4B Uh, or 4A. Well, actually, um, when when doing um, step four with a scope, and if you have an inexpensive scope that can't focus on the target and reticle at the same time, um, by focus, when I was first using it, I would focus on the target so I could see my bullet impact on the target. But my accuracy was adequate. When I adjusted the scope to where the reticle was crisp and the target was blurry, my accuracy went up dramatically because I, again, would focus on the reticle, keeping it steady, and then keep my mind focusing on keeping that reticle on the blurry target in the background, and the accuracy went up dramatically. Right. Let me tell you another uh, another problem with scopes that can manifest itself, and that is Folks who folks who have a scope and they have it focused exactly all the way under that target, you have to resist the temptation to have the crosshairs perfectly aligned exactly onto the target to where they should be. Because what you'll start doing is you'll start fussing the shot. You'll miss, you'll run out of your sequence where you should be because you're worried 
about, uh, remember what I told you guys earlier about your mind craving the symmetry, is that your mind wants that front, that uh, those reticles to be exactly centered on the target. And so while you're trying to do that, the clock is ticking, your respiratory pause is running out. Uh, and what I tell folks is we don't want you to be perfect. The perfect is the enemy of the good. Your sight do not have to be perfectly centered in the middle of that black square for you to hit that black square. They just have to be on the black square. And a lot of times with folks, if they can see that target up real close and real clear, then they need to resist the temptation of making the perfect shot. Now, most of the folks with the iron sights don't have to worry about that because we're not we're not seeing a real clear target to begin with. So we're just uh, we're putting that front sight at the six o'clock position on that target, saying, "Okay, this is this is the best I'm going to see, and I'm taking the shot." So what you want to do is, if you're using a scope, I think that's a great idea. Uh, what you mentioned, Shadow, is have the folks adjust back on it. For one thing, don't use your full power to uh, uh, when you're there, especially on the 25-meter uh, line. You know, back off from it a bit and then resist the temptation of the perfect shot. If you get the, tar- the target a little blurry, that's fine because if you sit to your sights uh, in the correct side alignment, for that little blur, you're going to hit exactly where you want it to be. <laughs> now, uh, the, the, as I said, the perfect uh, is the enemy of the good. So if you're using that scope and you're seeing it and it's in the black and you're at your respiratory pause and everything is like it's supposed to be, take the shot. Take the shot, okay? Don't try and fuss it. Don't look for the perfect. Take the shot. Well, Scout, I just want to thank you for your show. You're doing a great job, and I appreciate you letting me call in. Hey, well, listen. Well, don't don't go anywhere. We'll keep them alive. Uh, what else? Whenever you now, uh, you're an instructor, right? Yeah, I'm an. And where are you at? Um, I'm uh, an IIT too. Okay, but what uh, what's your physical location? What part? Of, what uh, state? You don't have to tell me where. In the Pacific Northwest, Washington State. Uh, okay, and uh, and you said, and I know one of the points that I want to bring up. And that is that uh, that one of the things that uh, I try and explain to folks is that. Uh, the Alpsy Project event, we're not teaching you new and exciting uh, tricks uh, to get you to shoot correctly. We're not, we're not teaching you things that we have thought of and we said, hey, what if we did this? Let's try this out on the space monkeys and see if it works. Uh, what we're doing is we're, we're showing folks the tried and true methods that have been distilled down through the ages. And like you said, when you came into the program, you shot two rifle standards at your first event. 
and you'd been shooting a great deal. But nonetheless, you learned a lot from that first event, right? Yeah, I learned a lot from that first event, and and even as an instructor, I continue to learn. And I think old guide would could probably say the same as well. I, I agree definitely. Yeah, I'll be glad to completely agree to that. I learn something every single time I'm at an event, whether I'm teaching. Now, usually, you don't learn as much while you're teaching because if you're talking, you're not you're usually not learning. But Whenever I hear somebody else uh, giving their explanation of a certain skill or a certain technique, then I'm learning. When I'm down on the line, when I'm down laying on the ground beside a shooter, and I'm trying to figure out what is standing between them and them achieving their goal of shooting to rifle standards, that's where I'm learning. I'm looking at them, and I see them doing something. I see that uh, finger in the wrong place on the trigger. I see... uh, I see that that eye beginning to close as you're taking the shot and maybe closing all the way. That's where I'm learning, and I learn something every time. Nonetheless, I, I have been shooting, as, as a great many folks do, I've been shooting my whole life and and thought I knew a great deal about shooting. And and I did know a, a good deal about it, but, but here's the thing. Uh, the the instruction, the skill set techniques that we show folks are the uh a lot of it is stuff that it takes you uh it may take you ten, fifteen, twenty years on your own to figure all these things out unless you go somewhere and you 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 work with somebody that's shooting and I know plenty of folks, you know, we had uh, Doug in VA and I like to bring him up because here's a guy who is an excellent shooter. And, uh, you know, he shot competition uh, for uh, the Navy for 40 years. And he still learned something at the Rifleman Boot Camp that uh, I was at with him. And the reason is is because we put all of the information that we can, all of the information on the skills and techniques that you'll need for shooting, we put it into one place and we give it to you uh, at one time in a linear fashion from the beginning of what you have to do to the end of what you have to do, we put it all in a line so that it's easy for you to understand it, for you to accept it as a uh, shooting as a uh, shooting system because we're going through it from beginning to end. We start with the, uh, the most important part of shooting, which is building a stable shooting position. Without a stable shooting position, forget it. The rest is just a Russian roulette or a coin toss. If you can't hold that rifle steady, then it's just uh, it's, it's anybody's guess if the sights are going to be on that target or not when the trigger breaks because it's just going to be moving up and down or side to side or both. So we teach you how to build a stable shooting position. Then we teach you how to execute the shot by the six steps. And then we teach you uh, the, the uh, natural point of aim, how to determine what it is and how to shift it onto the target. We teach you about inches, minutes, and clicks, what they are, how they pertain to your rifle, what your come-ups are, how they pertain to shooting at actual distances. We talk to you about uh, talking targets so that when you go to a range and you start shooting, then you can understand what you're doing there because a lot of people go to the range and 
they shoot their 20 rounds of shells, and they don't know what else to do. Some of them hit the target and some didn't, but they don't know what they're supposed to be trying to fix or what's supposed to be going on at the range. They know they're supposed to be hitting the target, right? But they don't know why it is they're not or what they should be doing to affect change uh, on their skills. And then we te- we talked to you about rifleman's cadence, at, uh, which is what you brought earlier, which is the ability to fire an aimed, accurate shot every two to three seconds until your magazine runs out. Uh, we'll teach you uh, about uh, the rifleman's bubble, which is how to close off uh, as much of the external stimuli as possible when you're shooting so that you eliminate everything except you, your rifle, and the target, and you make the shot inside that bubble without uh, listening or, or acting on any other external stimuli or internal stimuli. So we put this all together uh, in one package, and we give it to folks over the course of the two days of a weekend. We do most of it on Saturday, but we'll give it to folks over the course of the weekend in one package. And I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to wrap your mind around the concept of shooting when you get the fundamentals, which is what we're teaching you, when you get the fundamentals presented to you in the fashion that we're presenting it. And I think it's a, a phenomenal program taught by some of the best and most professional instructors that there is uh, in the United States today. Every one of the folks. And let me, but first let me add this in, too, is that none of, uh, well, let me just ask you guys this. Shadow and, oh, God, how much you guys getting paid to teach this course? Not much. They feed me coffee once in a while. <laughs> I got some T-shirts. That's I. I will say that. Got some T-shirts and a hat. Uh, yeah, I got two hats. It's taught. It's taught by volunteers. Yeah. By folks who are volunteering their time to first to first learn how to shoot correctly, and then learn how to teach this system, and then go out and and devote the time and energy to teaching it on the two-day Apple Apple Seed Rifle Marketship Weekends. And then the other uh, 27 to 30 days, they are 27 to 28 days, okay? I know there's not 32 days in a month. Uh, the other days, they are still passing it on. They're seven-stepping, getting people to coming to events and stuff like that. And uh, I know the best folks in the world. So let me thank you. Shadow and you, uh, old God, for for the amount of time you've devoted to uh, to learning your skills and your trades, and the amount of time that you've devoted to passing them on. So thank you guys. Well, those those other days are spent uh, doing a couple things: dry firing, like you talked about last week, to keep our skills sharp, and then also uh, studying the history. That that's the stuff that uh, really I think brought me back to the second time after I got my rifleman's patch. It, it's what keeps me coming back to Appleseed. Well, you're exactly right. Dry firing. And and one of the reasons this is really important is especially if you're an Appleseed instructor, uh, you better make sure that you develop a good dry firing program and uh, because you're not going to shoot as much 
if you are an instructor because you're going to be teaching. Now, we try, if we get enough folks, uh, if we get enough folks, instructors at an event, then I always try and uh, run some of the instructors uh, through the line, get them down on the ground, get them shooting, and make sure that they stay current by uh, shooting live rounds at the range. Uh, if not, you're going to, your skills are going to deteriorate. Your shooting skills uh, are deteriorate, uh, they, they can deteriorate very easily. And then the only way you're going to keep them current is by keeping a program of dry firing. And if you're not knife, uh, live firing, you're not shooting live rounds as much as you'd like to be, you can still keep your skills sharp and keep them up to date by dry firing. And the history, you're absolutely correct. You know, when I first, uh, and I've told this story a lot of times, I know a lot of people have heard this, but when I first read the first uh, Shotgun News article, and, and it was the first time I read it all the way through. Actually, the first time I'd, I'd read it years ago, uh, many years ago, I only got to the part where Fred was starting to talk about the Revolutionary War. And I hit that section and I thought, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with this guy? He's, he's, he's stuck 230 years ago. This, uh, that's ancient history. That's, uh, that's why. Why are you even talking about that? What relevance does it have to today? Blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think I could think of enough, uh, enough things to say to keep me from reading it. And when I finally sat down and read it, uh, you know, I started to, I started to understand. And then, of course, I was very ashamed because what relevance does it have to today? That's why we're here today. It's why the nation is here. That's why we have the, uh, the, the nice cars that we have and, and the jobs that we have. And uh, that's why we're here because of the folks who decided to stand together uh, in order to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that they held dear. It's why we have the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation today afford this is because of those folks. And I always, my reading of history and my, uh, my interest in history usually stopped around World War II. I didn't go back much uh, further than that. To me, it was much uh, anything much earlier than that was fairly dusty. Now, I, I've always studied history, but n not that much in detail. And I didn't read that much about it. I could tell you the dates that things occurred and the few the main characters involved. You know, all the way back to uh, Cro Mac and Man. But but I didn't have it didn't have the right place in my heart that it should have had, and. Once I started looking at it from the perspective of this being a uh, a direct, you know, descendant uh, and the founders of this nation, and I started reading the history then, and it, it had a whole different spin on it. And the history came alive, and that period in our history is some of the the most exciting. It has some of the most courageous heroes and heroines and 
Uh, it has some of the most dramatic events. Uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic living history, and uh, and I read as much of it as I can now. And in order for you to tell the story, that's what you're going to have to do as an instructor. You're going to have to you're going to have to learn the history. You're going to have to read as much of the history as you can, become as familiar with it as you can, and then you select the trail through the history that resonates most closely with your heart, and that's what you use to tell the story. So I think you're absolutely correct, Shadow. Yep, I agree. I just, uh, the old guys in Maine again. Uh, I just got the book, uh, Sam Adams. It's a hardbound, excellent book. Gives more, a little more insight. You know, you can only do so much history in three strikes. But when you get the right group of people, like if you got, if half of them are women, I put in a few more items that, that appeal to the women, you know. Leave out something that might not be as important that day. Exactly. You know, what you're doing is, uh, you know, whenever you first start telling the story, if you don't know much history, then it's like you have to take, you have to take the, the freeway, to get where you're going. You got to take the big main road, the well-trodden road that, that everybody knows. But once you learn more and more about it, then you can take the secondary roads. You can, you can tell the story from other perspectives. Well, listen, we got the. Uh, the English lady in our ears telling us that we're our time is up. I want to uh I want to tell you guys thanks, uh, Shadow and oh God for calling in and I want to thank everybody else for listening in. Call Squitter, I wanna thank you so much for uh for being there every week and uh, helping and doing what you do and uh, and I'll tell everyone that uh I look forward to seeing you again this next Thursday at 7 p.m. Central. Now, I'm still uh, trying to get a hold of Dr. Fisher and get him uh, get him scheduled for a uh, an interview again coming up on the radio. He hasn't been well, and I'll let you know as soon as I do. And everybody else, thank you so much. And call screener if you want to play some of the uh, bump out music, then uh, we're good to go with that. Everybody else, we'll see you next uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Good night, everybody. Let's go. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.